0: Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, A Retrospective, presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another edition of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, A Retrospective. My name is Nathan.
1: My name is Bob.
0: And today we're going to be talking about Vampire the Masquerade Player's Guide released in 1991. Book number two in a long and illustrious series of books released by White Wolf Publishing, written by a variety of different people. Authors Mark Renhagen, uh, Andrew Greenberg, Daniel Greenberg, Frank Fry, the usual individuals, the usual rogues gallery from the previous book. In bringing up the Player's Guide, it is a prime example of starting company trying to get all of their ideas out in starting with their core rulebook and now moving on to the player's guide, introducing some things that weren't talked about or maybe briefly mentioned in their first book.
1: I think here we can see that, uh, that well, in a player's guide, you can tell where the company was just sort of like, okay, great, you did one and it's a hit. Now what do you have? And there was a lot of, I want to say extraneous thoughts. Most were good. Some are maybe over the line or excessive. As you get to the skill section, for the most part, this is still keeping that same format of immersion, right? Starting with that uh, preface with the, um, the letter.
0: The letter is a little bit different than it was in the first book. It's a letter from a different perspective. It gives you more insight into the concepts and the life, I guess you could say, <laughs> for lack of a better term, of a vampire, but from the perspective of a hunter. Someone who hunts vampires down to kill them. So it's a it's a good piece of fiction to get you interested, to get you, you know, get the your your saliva flowing for the game, but it's written from that opposite perspective, no longer the elder.
1: And the strategy there in that letter is that the first one was about a vampire writing to another neonate, a newly embraced vampire. That was in the main book, right? Mm -hmm. And it was to get you, hey, you're a vampire, cool, be one. And now they're assuming you've just had that book and you've been running with your buddies, and you've been running these games, and you've just been playing a vampire. But what else do you have to fear? You don't really know, don't have an idea. Well, here's what they came up with. And so they write from a hunter perspective. And now this is supposed to get you geared, get your players thinking of broader concepts, a world that is not just them, not just the undead.
0: Now, one thing I did notice, and it's a little weird, and I don't know if it was accidental or intentional or what have you, but basically the book starts in your with the uh, preface. Here's this letter, or here's a brief introduction to what you're going to be getting in this book. And here's this letter. It goes about four or five pages, and then it goes directly into Chapter 2. So we don't actually have a Chapter 1 in the traditional sense. All the other chapters are distinctly marked Chapter 2, Chapter 3, Chapter 4. First one is not.
1: Always reeked to me of a deadline. Yeah. yeah. Someone signed with a the deadline, they did not have the right editor in place.
0: Yep. So Chapter 2 gets you directly into character creation, and it starts off with a selection of, uh, I believe, seven character templates. Now, for those of you who are experienced with this game, these are similar templates to the ones that you'd find in the all the clan books. At the end of the clan book, usually they'll go through like 10 character templates. Here gives you one of each of the seven clans, which are still what are the playable clans for this game.
1: And that's why I always thought the player's guide was like the workbook of the main book, because here's where you get to check your work. Here's where you get to see what it looks like in action what they envisioned right yeah. here's you want to play a, a Bruja as it's pronounced which is the you know the violent iconoclastic uh, rebel vampires great here's an example of a rebel we made in here that person is in the book what they might look like short synopsis story everything kit and caboodle you could cut that page out and play immediately
0: Yeah. Or make a, make a copy. (laughs) Right. You know, definitely don't want to cut pages out of your book. Although my personal experience, I bought books on eBay and there have been pages cut out. So don't do that. Anyways, moving on from the character templates, then we get introduced for the first time to merits and flaws, which I, I feel are a pretty important facet of the game. We definitely have more reliance on them later on in different versions of this game. But here the first time, Clearly, this is something they couldn't fit in the main book. There, there's a couple of wacky merits and flaws. There's a, there's a lot of good ones that will remain, and some that are completely different based on where the game goes later on.
1: And the thing about merits and flaws, why have always been big on stating that uh, the idea behind merits and flaws was just to help differentiate player to player. They weren't needed. They still aren't needed. No. It's if you've made an interesting character with a background, here it is. Great. Other than that, look at them as quirks. Uh, and they are—they really are quirks. Whether you're a, uh, one of the people who owns a hot, popular nightclub, which is one of the merits, right? Which I think is a sound merit to have. I still think it kind of sads me that in the modern, it's not background. You know, you own a nightclub, there you go. That's right. why you're a vampire.
0: Yeah, the one one thing that uh, really stands out reading this book again, uh, almost for the first time since I, it hasn't even been cracked for me in over 20 years, is that a lot of the. Merits and flaws are things that, in later editions, like you were sort of explaining, they will become rolled into backgrounds. Whereas here, you know, you can take a merit where you have police interaction, you have some sort of ties to the police, or you have political ties, etc. All those things will be sort of wrapped up into influence. But you can also see here where they use this concept later on for Mind's Eye Theater. Right. Where they don't use them as merits and flaws. They do use them almost exactly in backgrounds for live action.
1: I really think live action ruined a lot of what they had going with tabletop. Because yeah. of that. You overdefined. It
0: definitely ruins a lot of the game for players who don't first start here.
1: And and to tell you what we talked about, because Nate was like, it's a little weird because, you know, influence get rid of that, which is very true uh, with this direction they went. I wish they would go back to this, because if I say I have police influence, that could be anything. Yeah that could be and its two points that could be a, a good beat cop right to all the way up to the police chief we don't know what my influence level is right but it helps the player get more creative with that connection that they've made versus saying on a scale of one through five i influence the police right well you on know the same and, sliding scale
0: and and to further your point in tabletop in in the current editions of tabletop your influence is just influence yep you don't have specific areas of influence in tabletop any longer you just have a one-to- p- one to five sliding scale of influence. With this, it gives you more sort of a defined individualistic take on where would you be influencing, who would you be interacting with. I kinda like these these old merits and flaws. I, I kinda, you know, I'm I'm a little sad that they just sort of lump that in to one background. Having said that, like you were talking, I think to a degree it does do a disservice for live action. Live action role-playing, I think, is is one of the more popular ways of playing this game absolutely and i feel like there is a great deal of loss if you start there and you try to go here (laughs) start live action go to tabletop i definitely feel like you should start in tabletop get a feel for this game and then go to live action that's just me editorializing moving right along chapter three moves on to the expanded character if you want to take a little bit of time to talk about like some of the secondary abilities
1: Well, chapter three, you had secondary abilities, which are really cool. Like one, I always enjoyed that someone to have an eidetic memory, uh, which is, is a merit, but also a phenomenon, right? It's somebody who can look and hear anything and have complete recall memory wise, exactly what it is often attributed to somebody who could speed read. Well, instead they get this weird quirky secondary ability called scan. And it's exactly that. It's the ability to walk into a room, glance all around the room and absolutely everything your eye sees you memorize to a crystal clear detail. Where the ability came from is absolutely from the old vampire myth that if a vampire comes across a series of of grains of rice, for instance, and they're thrown on the ground, they can't attack or move anywhere until they count every grain. Never explained why. It's an old wives' tale folklore. It's also true that vampires move very fast. And so their ability to hyper-scan those specific objects becomes very real as they completely obliterate the old wives' tale as it you know comes from old Transylvania on over to the States. And so to throw that in here, I really felt Mark Mark Ranhagen was saying, Hey, if you want that, it's cool. Here it is. Here's what it actually is, though. Normal people do have this ability. And it even says, if I'm correct, one of the specialties is for speed reading. Speed reading
0: is actually its own ability in here.
1: Oh, there you go. So I <laughs> so so, thought of that as well. Yeah. So,
0: You'll you'll definitely, if you look through this book, you'll see some abilities that maybe you've never seen before. If you're not familiar with this game in its original form, you may see some abilities that you are familiar with. They're going to be a little bit different, but then there's going to be some really like off the wall kind of abilities that you go, well, why would I need that? The cool thing about this game is that those secondary abilities you're pretty much not limited to anything that's in a book, as long as you and your storyteller agree, like, why would you have this? How did you acquire it? And does it make sense?
1: And and you've asked that, you're like, what's the point of secondary abilities? Like, you know, just sort of extrapolating. And there is a point. Secondary abilities isn't supposed to take away from the mainstay abilities and specialties. What it is, again, quirks. We're defining your character. Right. So just like I was saying, you could be good at scan or... It's cool. I forgot they had lip reading or excuse me, uh, speed reading as well. They also have lip reading. The fact is, is that those skills are there. You actually get a pool of points to spend on those skills separate from all your normal ones to right. so make it to where you are unique and here in some ways that you can really shine. Right. And
0: then moving along, we do have a whole additional list of archetypes. They are terms that define your characters, either nature or demeanor. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a word used to describe your personality. Some of them in here are kind of goofy. <laughs> and, and probably they don't, re- they don't remain in, in later incarnations of the game for a reason. I think like slob, it's a little, little weird, maybe not necessary.
1: <laughs> I always thought that archetype, they were trying to get concept. They're trying to see your concept and your concept should be defined further by your nature and demeanor nature, being the behavior that you truly are. Uh, for instance, if I wanted to say that I was, uh, we'll just say dictator, it's not one, but I'm just using it for an example. And you could do that. You could still use it. But let's say I'm, I'm someone who has, or no, we'll do control freak. Mm-hmm. You can make that up too. And I—and my nature is I absolutely have to control the entire situation in any way I can. Now that's my nature. That's how I really am. But I may seem on the surface to be somebody who is um, a thrill seeker. It doesn't seem I have to control the situation. It'd be very, only people close to me could figure that out. So Demeter would be what everybody perceives me to be. And if right. I'm a thrill seeker, I'm going for anything that gives me an adrenaline rush, right? Right. When in reality, I'm this controlling guy, and that's sort of nature demeanor. And then, what would be my concept off of that, or the archetype I'm choosing with? And that's why I think that definite weirdness is there. But you're absolutely right; it's still very strange. The because the, their archetype did. It's like they tried to have one or the other uh, at this point, and weren't real certain what direction it was going.
0: Yeah, they they had a bunch of vast list of them takes up two pages in the main book, and I think they're just trying to. Give the player more options, because I I really feel like at the crux, the player's guide, really all these additional added extras, they are included and given to you, the player, to make you more that unique snowflake that you want to be. Right. Because really, that's what it is. You're playing a role-playing game. You want to play the beautiful and unique snowflake, and this gives you the, the power to do that
1: and absolutely let's uh as a quick head nod this is also the book that gets you access to those cool elder level powers yeah you know new new magic paths or actually introduces the magic paths uh for uh the game itself
0: i don't remember if the main book had any thaumaturgy i know i think i had at least the, the path of blood
1: if it did i don't remember it having it and you know what we'll just say it did because it makes sense that it did and because we know that the player's guide expands on that list anyway right so logic would dictate it came from somewhere uh, but th- new thaumaturgy pastor there that's what's called thaumaturgy way of miracles quote unquote or blood magic as it's known to the kindred disciplines at this point if you remember from the first one we explained the vampiric powers they're called disciplines called that because they have to practice to unlock those powers of the blood
0: i think this is also a really good tool at the time at least for storytellers not necessarily players If you're running a game where you're playing with a bunch of elder characters, that's great, but it doesn't seem like that's really the story they're telling at this point. But for a storyteller who wants to put those ancient characters into that game and have their players interact with them, great tool for
1: that. And fun fact, this is also the only book that goes to level 10 in a lot of the powers, right? (laughs) Right. Because it's, it's limited by generation. It's an important note because if you're playing a fourth gen Methuselah, you get stopped at nine. Right. That's as high as they can go, because that 10th level, so those antediluvians, they actually list those powers here. And more importantly, Thaumaturgy goes up, oh my god, all the way to 10. In this book, you actually have thaumaturgical rituals that hit that level. And you're like, what the...
0: Yeah, you'll see a vast difference later on as the game progresses and, and it expands. You'll see that they get a little bit more consistent with how they iron all of that stuff out. But it's cool to look at and go, oh, hey, this is where it came from.
1: And in one guy's opinion, mine being that guy, kind of took away from it a little bit.
0: Yeah, it seems like an early on thing to do. Maybe leave a little bit of mystique, but, eh, yep. you know, hindsight being what it is.
1: Oh, no, I meant when they take it away.
0: Oh, when, you, oh, when they take it away.
1: Oh, yeah, because a storyteller, it's hard food and vision plot wide. You'll never let a player have this stuff. No. Or maybe you would, but it's a big story thing. And when it's not there and you have to think of it, it's too much trouble. Yeah. Usually you'll think of something way better.
0: So moving on from there, we go to the wonderful chapter four, where we begin to discuss vampiric society. The first thing that we discuss in this chapter is status among vampires, the harpies, clan prestige. This is where they start to iron out all those specific details of living that night to night camera. So Nate,
1: life. I'm a storyteller. I got the first book, listen to your podcast. I got it. I've been playing with my buddies and, and we've just been running around like the lost boys, just been a group of us. Um, in the city of Chicago where we're at, and I've just been living the nightlife, and now I get this player's guide. Why do I need a status all of a sudden? Well, maybe you don't for your game, but
0: if you want to run the game sort of the way it's been presented, there is a hierarchy. There are elders. There are things that th- that those elders might have influence over. They don't want you to screw in with. Uh, they have a, a mortal thrall that they're using for their own benefits, and you go and hit them with your car. Well, <laughs> if there's no ramifications, if there's no laws then anything goes. It's total so, chaos.
1: Sort of what I hooked you for. Because I was kind of ramping it all the one, because that might be a question a lot of you have. And you're innate, answered off the bat seamlessly, saying that you don't necessarily have to. But they put that vampire society in here to let you see that there indeed is a pecking order. And it's an ancient one. It's one that is tradition-bound. There has always been an ancient, or the eldest, and there have always been those who serve. And those favored uh, were called the ancillae and those who are just recently made are called neonates. And both serve, but the neonates serve the Anselia. The Anselia serves the elders, right? All, all, all ran up to Caesar is basically what that means. right? And vampires are no different.
0: And uh, they also begin to talk about, for the first time, some additional clans that were not introduced in the original book.
1: And, and I went, can we spend some time on this? Yeah, we can all spend right, cool, some time total.
0: on this. They, and here's the thing, too. They talk about the Sabbat but they still do not introduce the Sabbat. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this game, if you've only read the first book, you have a knowledge of the Camarilla. You have a knowledge of the seven clans. Well, there is a sect of vampires that are diametrically opposed. And the
1: important point to this is that the Camarilla upholds the Masquerade, if you recall, out of fear of the mortals rising up.
0: And in this book, they mention the Sabbat, but they don't go into detail about it. What they do go into some decent amount of detail about are unaligned clans, the unaligned clans being the according to this book at this time, the Asimite, the followers of Set the Giovanni, the Ravno, and interestingly enough, the salubri
1: now, what I like about this is that these clans and to me are their purists. This is when people fell in love uh, with like these are some of my favorite clans mentioned I mean clan Asimite alone, they were straight up killers from calcutta they were the they were the thuggy or tuggy if you will. Uh, that worshipped Kali on a side, some of them cultists who accepted these death contracts to go and kill other vampires or whoever, and the payment they received was blood.
0: Yeah, they're the assassins of the vampire world.
1: And they were, I mean, these were not, this was not Dracula. You were not getting <laughs> seduced here. Me. If you saw these guys, they, you, you wouldn't see them until you were dying because they would come to you looking like your lover, looking like your grandmother, looking like the guy who's, who drops off your mail or is about to serve you wine. And then, in that instant, quickly and deftly, you were poisoned, you were killed, they were gone.
0: For the completionist players, not only does it describe these clans, it also gives you all of their clan disciplines right off the bat. So, here you have these brand new five clans that, wow, as a storyteller, you can automatically, like, I can think of so many great tales to tell. Right. Moving on, we have the followers of Set. The followers of Set are kind of what they sound like. They were an Egyptian-themed group of vampires. Not necessarily have to be Egyptian, but definitely has that theme. And they worship the death god Set. Go from there. Dark, evil, treacherous, tricky.
1: And corruptors. Right, definitely corruptors. The purpose of that clan was to corrupt. They were introduced new waves of thinking with with these independent clans. You had the blood fanatics of the Asimites, and the followers of Set now are religious fanatics. Their job is to show it basically take innocence and rot it on the vine. That's their sole point. And you can only do that if you (laughs) pooped in your own soul. That's like the only way you could do that. And they're the worst of the worst.
0: After the followers of set, we have the Giovanni. And I feel like the prime example of the Giovanni is someone on the staff red necroscope. (laughs) These are, you know, rich, wealthy, elite. Traders, businessmen, deeply Italian, Venetian family by day, by night, callous, murderous necromancers. Can't draw a closer comparison from the Giovanni to...
1: If you you watch Goodfellas, and everybody listening to this has, and you imagine Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas, he is a ghoul to the Giovanni family. (laughs) And he's very important because he's going to be made. That's why he's acting the way he is. But in Goodfellas, he draws too much heat in the family. Now, if you watch Goodfellas in its entirety, there's no vampirism in it whatsoever. But when you read that Giovanni section, I could tell you, oh yeah, he was marked. It's because his creepy family has an estate over in Sicily where he has to go to get acknowledged, has to go to get his ceremony done to be in the clan. When he gets there, they're going to reveal that his mom and dad were brother and sister, and he's a descendant. And they put him in the States where he didn't have to be connected to any of that. And now he's going to go to a room of pale rich people who are brutal and straight bone honest about what they're going to do to him and what his place in the world is. Yeah. But it would actually truly explain a lot of his anger and his proclivities.
0: Uh, After the Giovanni, we have the Ravno, which I guess they're tricksters and what you'd call What's the politically correct term the, to the use? Tie,
1: the, well, there's no PC term. I mean, straight up, the myth of gypsies, right? Right. Or the folklore around gypsies. That's the Ravno. They were, um, you know, the Shilmulo, which is, you know, the, their name for uh, the Caucasians. People came to kind of take over their turf from the Transylvania Hill folk, right? And what this Ravno clan does, though, is they're also tied to India. That's the cool thing about them. And it doesn't really, it hints to that in this book, but doesn't get too much into it. Right. But the point is, is that the Ravno at this point... Right out of this book, you could play one and they want you to get into the whole fact that their illusion, their yeah, whole they, world they is They create
0: illusions. illusions. Yeah, absolutely. Then after the Ravno, not to sort of ice over them, but moving on from the Ravno, last but not least, we have the Salubri, which by the book's own admission is more of actually a bloodline. And if you're interested in in knowing more about that, read it in the book here. They have their merits. They have their their flaws, for lack of a better way of putting it. They're an interesting read. I don't know if I would have included them so early, but clearly someone had a concept and that's why they stuck it here in this book. Right. To wrap up chapter four, you get kind of the whole package there. You get your society, you get your, your unaligned clans and your bloodlines. And then uh, we move right along into chapter five.
1: Honestly, chapter five is more into role playing. It's you read the first book and the, and the writers felt that they didn't hit uh, the nail in the head about what it is to role play. And so they wrote various articles just sort of to get you, basically to get their point across. You read it, understand what role-playing is, what they intended, and it's again to put you as the player in the right mindset to portray the character you've made.
0: Yeah, this chapter consists of a series of short essays by the authors that have contributed to this book and to the previous book about their experiences in role-playing and really what they believe role-playing is to them and what it should be to you. And they give you some tips, some hints. And some stories, and for me, like, I really feel like this is probably the most important part of this book for a modern audience. The other stuff it, that's all been revised we've all moved on from that it's cool to look back and give if, it a chuckle if
1: you're bob it's cool, I may be bringing some of that back, but for the yeah. most part yeah, definitely you're, you're, you're fine with that right
0: it. you you can pick and choose what you want to include in your game from the other previous chapters. This one, I believe, is very important, and I believe it's important for any. Gamer, not just a gamer, a vampire. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 is equipment. It's, I, it's an equipment chapter. <laughs> honestly, it's their
1: equipment list. You really have to go over the fact they have a flamethrower. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it's, it is. It's
0: everything from firearms to medical supplies to vampiric havens. Sickle and chain for right. martial arts right. fans. It's the statistics part of the book. Feel free to read that over if you want. Not necessary and not important. All those rules have been revised to meet the new rules. Definitely not important to your game. Chapter 7 survival of the fittest
1: this is awesome i mean this is uh this chapter goes into well managing your own life uh or the minutiae of nightly existence is another one basically it tells you how to well how do i maintain what i have like i'm a vampire portraying this character i've acted out in several scenes but what am i like not in a scene what's my normal routine look like what is existing yeah on a routine immortal scale, what could that possibly be
0: right? and this this helps to define what you're going to be going through on a nightly basis because you are playing a character and you want to portray this character as realistically as possible. Your game as a storyteller and also as a player should not just be a series of nighttime sword fights. <laughs> you know it shouldn't because you're losing out on so many different aspects of the game, and this chapter will help you iron out some of those details and help you to portray a more realistic and more three-dimensional character which is really what your goal should be. So, definitely worth a read on that chapter. There are a great deal of uh articles and pieces of information in that chapter that are going to help you to that would help you in any game in addition to a modern vampire the masquerade game. And that pretty much wraps up the book.
1: That's it. I mean, I would just add that uh, I definitely feel it's a worthwhile book. I think if you have this one with the first uh if you have the first two books, I truly feel you can just jump to modern. That's modest opinion. Yeah. Because with the first two, it gives you all the framework that gives you an idea of exactly what they had in mind for this world that they created. Right. And once you have that, you have the dynasty and you're on lock. There's, and, no, there's nothing to worry about.
0: And to piggyback off what you're saying, I think this is great, too, because at this point, we haven't been introduced to any of the actual world changing storylines. We're sure. not we're not dealing with specific characters, what's specific called the princes canon. Right, yeah, exactly. Sorry, my stuttering. No, you're so, fine. So, this is the first, like, first two books We're not encountering any kind of canon. So this helps you to create your own world the way that you want to create the world without having to worry about any of the details that come later.
1: So better said, these two books assume that we're creative enough. I mean, I really have to say this, they, right. that Mark Reinhagen and the crew at White Wolf felt they're creative enough to get what we're putting down, picking up what we're putting down. Here it is, you guys have fun. Right. And then what we come to find out is that after first edition, you'll see this. Once you get into second edition and on, they really put the training wheels on. Because people people aren't getting it, right, or at least they're not showing that they they just you know,
0: or they just as as authors as writers, they wanna they wanna bring more of what they have in their minds to the table.
1: But when we get to those editions, I'll show you more of my point. But I I really feel it. That's a
0: absolutely absolutely. I will not disagree with you. My final thoughts are: I think the book would be a valuable resource for new gamers and new players based on the role playing information. Rules wise not necessarily, unless you're just trying to be reminiscent. Other than that, it's like five bucks on drive-through RPG. Why not pick it up on PDF? So what are we doing next week? Let's take a look at the list.
1: Oh man, this is always a drum roll in it yeah.
0: <laughs> Vampire the masquerade, the Succubus Club.
1: I mean, uh, n- <laughs>
0: we gotta break out those Chicago Chronicles books a- and reread some Succubus Club. So this is where we start to get into some of that canon, some of that information about specific characters, specific princes, and specific locations.
1: It'll be fun because there's some people I've been wanting to rip apart for a while, and it's it's, it's good. It starts here. It's yeah, good beginning. We're,
0: we're gonna we're gonna paint a little picture. We're gonna shine a light on some nonsense, and we're gonna bring some of those vampires out into the sunlight. There you go. All righty, thank you for listening. I, of course, am Nathan,
1: and I am naturally Bob.
0: <laughs> and uh, what was it you said last week? Buy American, watch out for blade. I don't know.
1: I did. I said buy American. <laughs> watch out for blade That's- you guys have
0: a good one we'll we'll talk to you